So today, we are finishing this series we've been in called The Way of God. And if you're new with us, this is a, a series where we're, we've been talking about these four pathways of, to help us know how to walk in the way of God. And the four pathways are this. Say it with me if you know it or if you see it on the screen behind me. The four pathways are love God, live free, build family, and bring the kingdom. And this is really a, a type of discipleship series. And these pathways are things we've identified, uh, ways of living that are walking in the way of God, which is the way of Jesus, because Jesus is the way of God. And so as we've talked about the last few weeks, God wants us to love him first and foremost, more than anything, love God. We talked about how to live free uh, because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We talked about how to build family in our natural families and here in the church family of God and how important that is last week. And we talked about the Build Family Conference coming up at the end of February. And so who's excited about that? It's going to be an awesome time to build your marriage, build your, your parenting skills um, so that you can train up kids in love and faith and wisdom. And I can't wait uh, for that at the end of February, the 24th through the 26th. And so register for that. You can go to freepeople.church slash buildfamily um, and, and check that out. Today we're going to finish this series by talking about how to bring the kingdom. How to bring the kingdom. Why is bring the kingdom one of the four main things that God wants us to be doing on a continual basis? Well, you might not realize this, but the New Testament refers to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven over 150 times. Over 50 of these alone are in the book of Matthew, and they are almost all from Jesus himself, most of them in the parables he told. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who went out to sow seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. The kingdom of heaven is, is like a treasure hidden in a field, Jesus said. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. How shall I describe it to you, he would say. And then he would say the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like this. Jesus preached primarily about the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, when he's, this was the message he carried to every community he went to. He said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Mark 4.20, I'm sorry, Matthew 4.23 says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And healing every disease and sickness among the people. Matthew 24, 14 says, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when we talk about preaching the gospel to all nations, Jesus said it should be the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus taught us to pray and ask for the kingdom to come. Matthew 6, 9 through 11. He said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to seek first 
the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things shall be given to you as well. Jesus commanded his disciples and that's those of us here today who bear his name to preach the kingdom of God. Matthew 10, 7, he said, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. So many modern preachers, when they talk about preaching the gospel and they define it, they define it by the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, we are all defined by the cross of Jesus Christ. Our faith is defined by the cross of Jesus Christ. The way into the kingdom is by the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. But the cross of Christ is just a piece of the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's the beginning. It is the way in. But Jesus taught on the fullness of the kingdom. In fact, when you read, I love to study the preaching In the book of Acts, because this is the preaching of Jesus' disciples. I mean, as soon as they're commissioned, you don't get more pure than that. And this is post-cross, post-resurrection preaching. And the majority of references to preaching in the book of Acts says they preached about the kingdom of God. Such as Acts 28, 31, it says, Paul, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Are you getting the picture how important the kingdom of God is in the preaching and teaching and life of Jesus? So how important should it be in the lives of his people? Amen. So that begs the question then, what is the kingdom of God? Because we live in a democracy, don't we? It's very different. They lived in a time of kings and kingdoms, emperors and empires, which was very similar to kings and kingdoms. And Jesus said he came to bring the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The Greek word for kingdom in pretty much all those instances I just read is bas aliyah. And it means the royal power, kingship, authority, and power of a ruler. It's referencing the royal power of Jesus as triumphant Messiah, meaning king of kings. Of the royal power and dignity conferred on Christians in the Messiah's kingdom. And it can also mean a realm or a territory that is ruled by that king or that power. So when Jesus said, I have come, I'm bringing the kingdom of God, repent which means change your thinking, change your life, turn around, do a 180, repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. What did he mean by that? Essentially what Jesus is saying is, hey, I'm the king of heaven. This earth is not being controlled by me. This earth is now under the the kingdom of darkness and has been since Genesis chapter 3. But I am coming as an invading king. And isn't it amazing? He just came by himself. He didn't even bring an army. He came as a baby. He grew up and he's like, all right, it's time. I'm here. I'm invading. 
Can you imagine in World War II if Hitler just by himself walked into France and was like, hey, I'm invading you. Time to surrender. I'm taking over. That would be ludicrous. Where's his army? Jesus walks in in the power of the Holy Spirit of Most High God, and he says, the kingdom of God is here. I've come into the world of darkness, so you need to repent. And he's saying it's a choice because this is what scripture teaches. A lot of modern Christians don't realize this. When God created mankind, he gave authority of the earth to mankind. And so if you use the medieval uh, system of, of lords and kings, mankind was made to be like lords, which were like governors or regents or or sub-kings, if you will, to rule over the earth underneath the authority of the king of kings, most high God. That's how God set it up. That's why in Genesis 1 and 2, he says, rule over the fish of the sea and the, the animals on the land. That rule over means have dominion over. You guys are regents, rulers of the earth. I'm giving authority of your own life to you. You can make authoritative decisions for better or for worse. And I'm giving authority of this earth to you. Here's what happened. We got deceived by an enemy. And because we listened to him, it was through deception, but we listened to him. And you can tell who has authority in your life by who you're listening to. And so we listened to him. We essentially gave our authority over the earth to Satan. And that's why the Bible says in 1 John, I believe 519, the apostle John says, now we know that we belong to the Lord. And we know that the whole world is under control of the evil one. We know that, right? Right? Same is true today. Satan has power and authority over the earth because mankind in our sin, and all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're separated from God. We gave our power and authority to him. So he's ruling deceptively over us. And the biggest trick the devil ever pulled is convincing the world it doesn't exist, right? He wants you to think you're still ruling over yourself so that he can do whatever he wants. This is why when, Jesus, when Satan tempted Jesus, he took him up and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, I'll give all these to you because they've been given to me. Now, he's a liar, but he was telling the truth that time. They have been given to him. Who gave it to him? Not God. It was us. He was tempting. Why would that be tempting to Jesus? Because Jesus came to win back all power and authority and all the hearts of all mankind, which would be all the kingdoms of the earth. This is what Jesus came for. And he's tempting Jesus, you don't have to go to that cross. You don't have to die. I'll just give it to you if you worship me. And Jesus said, away from me. Worship the Lord your God. Serve him only. Jesus resisted that temptation. Jesus went to the cross. Do a little Bible study next time when you read about the cross. And there's several verses. Look at the ones that say he disarmed powers and authorities. Jesus did on the cross. It's talking about the satanic fallen angel principalities that are ruling over the earth. There are fallen angel beings that are principalities. They, they rule as princes over regions of the earth, and they are all eventually subservient to Satan himself. And that's still going on today. 
And so when Jesus died on the cross, he disarmed their power and authority. Why? They have power and authority because mankind, rulers of the earth, sinned. So Jesus paid for sin. He's fully God, but he was fully man. And so as a fully man, perfect man, who gave up his life, he paid for sin and death. He bought back mankind's authority over the earth. And that's why in Matthew 28, you might never have noticed this before, verse 18, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You ever read that before and thought, I thought he already had all authority. He's king of kings, Lord of lords. He was king of heaven. But mankind gave away their authority of the earth. So he came as a man to redeem man and to redeem man's authority. He buys it back. And that's why post-resurrection, he's walking around going, hey, the king is here. Actually, even pre-resurrection. Because he knew what was coming. It was prophetic. This is who I am. The kingdom of God is here. Because the king is here. And so when you accept Christ as Lord and Savior, you pass from the kingdom of darkness, you're transferred to the kingdom of light. Here's what you're saying. I repent. I repent. I didn't realize it maybe, but I've been in the enemy's army. I've been subject to the king of darkness. And by the way, you might think you're your own man, you're your own person, but you are subject either to the king of darkness or the king of light. And there's no in between. And if you think, well, that's this, I just don't believe in religion, Okay, well, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about reality. And this is how things work. And if you don't believe it, you are deceived. And, and it's worse for you because you're on the enemy's team and you don't even realize it. And that's what he wants. So when you realize what I'm saying is true, Jesus Christ is king. This is his gospel. Repent and believe the good news. He died for your sins on the cross because you've lived in sin. You have sinned. You've offended the king of heaven, who's the definition of morality. Man, who on that side would be like, well, I would love to go to the kingdom of light, but he's going to hate me. He's going to punish me. I've been living in darkness. I've been serving Satan. And he loves us so much, and he knows that our fall was through deception, and the enemy's actually holding us all captives. We're like his prisoners. We're not really his army. His army's like the demons and all that. We're like his prisoners. Jesus is like, I love you so much. I want to set you free, and I want to give you a chance to come back. So I'm going to pay for your penalty, your debt on that cross. He died for the death you deserve. He wiped the slate clean. And now he says, hey, if you'll receive me as what? How do we get saved? Romans 10 says, if you believe in your heart, Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, redeeming mankind and our authority, and confess with your mouth, Jesus is what? Lord. I want to switch sides. Jesus, I want you as my king. That's what I want. I I want to receive what you did on the cross. I'm sorry. I've lived in sin. I've lived selfishly. I I will change. I will do my best to live how you want. Can I switch sides, please? And King Jesus goes, absolutely, that's what the cross was for. And by the way, that's for anybody. That's for everybody. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. I don't care how bad of a sinner. I've heard every sob story. I've heard every, I'm a bad man. You just don't understand the things I've done. You would be amazed if I could 
confidentially tell you the confessions I've heard. I've heard it all, and I've seen Jesus save them all. It's, it's between you and him. And if you are willing to believe God is that good, then it's for you too. Because that's how good he is. Because he knows, he doesn't care how bad you are. He knows his grace and his love can change anybody. So he doesn't fear bad people coming onto his side. Because he makes them good. (laughs) How many of you believe you're a sinner saved by grace? Amen. You were a sinner saved by grace. The moment you get saved, you're not a sinner anymore. That's the gospel. The apostle Paul didn't write his letters and go to the sinners of God in Ephesus. <laughs> to the saints. To the saints of God. To the saints of God in Ephesus. And so when you say, I'm done. I want to quit living this way. Jesus, I want you as my Lord, Master, King. He goes, Amen. Come on over, you know. And you get saved. You get transferred. Your sins get wiped away. Whatever you did on the dark side, doesn't matter. He just wipes it out. Forgets about it even. He puts his Holy Spirit in you. His power. You can start overcoming the sins, the things that used to hold you back. You can start healing from deep trauma, abuse, neglect. Whatever you've been through, Jesus can heal it. I promise you. I've also seen him heal the worst of the worst of the worst. And I'm talking emotional. I'm talking sexual abuse. I'm talking, I'm talking cancer. I'm talking terminal. I'm talking raised from the dead. He can do it all. And he's that good. He puts his spirit in you. And he gives you his same power, same power that rose Christ from the dead, and authority. You become a regent. You become a governor. You become a sub-king again. Ruling under Jesus. You become, 2 Corinthians 5, an ambassador. But it's not an ambassador that's just political. You, you become an ambassador with power and authority. As a believer. Every believer. I don't care if a five-year-old little girl gets saved. She's an ambassador in the kingdom. She has power and authority to make demons flee. And to set people free. And to bring healing. Because Jesus gives us his power and authority. And so this is what the kingdom is. Man, when you accept him, you step into the kingdom. You're in the kingdom. You're under the rule and reign of the power and authority of Jesus Christ. When you begin to lead your family... As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When you begin to bring them in, guess what? You're bringing the kingdom of God in your home. When groups of Christians stop being scattered, stop believing the lies of our modern American culture, well, I don't really need the church. I've been hurt by the church. I'm just going to stay home. I can have a personal faith. It's just me and Jesus. I don't need anybody else. Those are all lies of the enemy. And if you've been hurt, if that's the reason you're still holding on to those lies, Jesus wants to heal you and get you in a healthy church family. Because when groups of Christians come together in humility and trust and love and faith, and we begin to do the work he's called us to do, guess what? We begin to bring the kingdom in our community, in our region. 
And it's like, man, what's it like? Man, it's, it's like my wife makes, it's breakfast Sunday, so I'm going to talk about food. But my wife makes bread sometimes. And she's made communion bread before, and it doesn't have any yeast in it, and it doesn't rise, and it's kind of dense. Not my favorite. But she's made this sourdough bread that's got this sourdough yeast stuff in it. And she has to let it rise. She works it all through the dough, and that's what it's like when a group of Christians, even two or three, could start with just two or three, get together in love and trust and faith and unity to do what he's called us to do, we begin to bring the kingdom. It's like that yeast, and it begins to work its way through our whole community. And before you know it, you might have a room full of hundreds of people seeking to bring the kingdom in a greater way in their lives, in their families, in their communities. And it spreads. Hey, let's start a church down in Lexington, Kentucky, and we'll just start another one. And then we'll just start spreading all over this earth, taking back territory of human hearts from the kingdom of darkness and the gates of hell will not be able to keep us out we're called to bring the kingdom we're called to bring the kingdom look at your neighbor and tell him bring the kingdom say it authoritatively bring the kingdom Command them. So we're called to bring the kingdom. How? How do we bring the kingdom? How do we bring the kingdom? Well, Jesus is our model. How did Jesus bring the kingdom? And think about it this way. This is a really simple way for you to think about it. We're bringing the kingdom of what? Of God. The kingdom of heaven. What's heaven like? big subject imaginations go crazy but think of it very simply in heaven there's no sin or sinners so jesus came and he provided grace and forgiveness ultimately through the cross and he commissions us as his ambassadors to preach grace and forgiveness through the cross in heaven there's no sickness injury or pain so jesus brought healing and i'm going to tell you something He gives us power and authority to bring healing to this earth. And I mean healing of all types. Spiritual, emotional, mental, physical. He gives us power and authority to bring and to administer his healing. Did you know every single local church is supposed to have a healing ministry? Did you know that? Go read James 5.16. I don't believe that because... We're a charismatic church. I believe that because I read James 5.16. And if any of you is sick, let them call the elders, the leaders of that church, and they'll anoint you with oil and pray. And the prayer offered in faith, word of God says, will make the sick person well. The prayer offered in faith. Why don't, why don't it work? Well, it doesn't work. A lot of churches don't do it. A lot, it doesn't work because a lot of churches don't do it. And if you do it, do you do it with Faith. How can you have, tell if you have even enough faith to think it might work? You do it. And isn't it sad so many churches don't even do that? They don't invite people to seek that. They don't do that because they don't even have enough faith to read the word and do what God says. But I'm here to tell you, 
Jesus healed people, and he wants his church to have his healing ministry. In the context of that verse is physical healing. Because in heaven, there's no sickness, injury, or pain. Oh, but we live in a fallen world, Pastor. You're going to get people's hopes up that God's going to heal them every time. Hmm. Well, if you want your theology to be governed by your own lack of expectation and faith instead of the word of God and have your faith rise to what it says, then you keep on believing that. My job isn't to actually heal people. My job is to do what God's word says and pray for the people that need healed. Then God does what he wants to do. Jesus always encouraged people to have faith. Jesus never said you're giving people false hope and false expectations. That ain't Bible. That is American secular humanism, atheistic thinking, ruling your faith. Read your Bible more. Are you not in error? Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God, Jesus said. And he said that to preachers and teachers of the word of God. And so we need to read our Bibles more to find out what heaven looks like and how Jesus brought the kingdom. Amen? In heaven, there's no one oppressed by demonic spirits. So Jesus drove them out. And yet again, he gave us power and authority to also drive them out. Luke 10, 18 and 19 After they were already driving them out, he goes, yeah, I know, guys. See, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and I've given you power and authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So we have his power and authority to make demonic oppression stop and to make demonic spirits Leave now in the name of Jesus. In heaven, there's no one dead. So Jesus literally raised the dead. Mm, It's quiet in here now. (laughs) Wait a second, because like if we even if we raise them, it's natural and then they're going to die again. So should we even try? I'm confused. Don't get confused. If someone you love dies and it's not a 97-year-old grandpa who wants to go to heaven and they're leaving kids behind and their family's weeping and you feel like the Lord wants you to pray, come on back, then you pray, come on back. It's that simple. Let's not overcomplicate it. He said to his disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead, (laughs) go, do the stuff, bring the kingdom, go. It's amazing. In heaven, This is a good one. There's no one poor, hungry, thirsty, or homeless. So Jesus was always helping the poor, feeding them, encouraging them, treating them kindly. He was also always preaching about how we should care for the poor. The New Testament is filled with verses about how Christian people should be caring for the poor and the oppressed. So these are the ways Jesus brought the kingdom of God. And he has commissioned us. And I want you to hear me. He has commissioned us to bring the kingdom in all of the same ways. Not just one or two of those ways. All of those ways. Because we're his representative. 
and he wants a representative that looks like him. Jesus is our model. You know, April's devotion was beautiful. We just overcomplicate it. It's really that simple. Just read scripture, do what it says, have faith. So what does this look like for us to do practically? As I've been talking about in this uh, series, these pathways, like bring the kingdom. These are statements we say in church a lot, you know, love God, you know, come on, live free, you know, bring the kingdom. We're free, freedom. It's like, awesome. yeah, we're free. What are we free from again? Like, I don't feel so free. I'm kind of down today. What does it mean to do these things? How, in a very practical sense, what are the things we can look at our lives and go, am I doing these things? Am I not doing these things? How do I know if I'm doing this? So how do we bring the kingdom, right? I've talked about next steps on each of these pathways that you can look at. Am I taking these steps? Am I doing these things? And you can know. You can weigh yourself, judge yourself. Am I, am I doing what God wants me to be doing in my life? So how do we bring the kingdom? Well, Jesus, again, is our model. And Jesus' mandate is in Isaiah 61, first two verses. Because when he started his ministry, he went to his hometown, presumably first. Presumably this was his first sermon that we know of. And he preached out of Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And when he got done, he said, these verses are fulfilled in your hearing. And this is his mandate, which means this is our mandate. And this is what it says. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me. So a spiritual anointing or empowering. This is also something that a lot of modern Christians kind of glaze over. We just kind of skip over this part. But I'm telling you, it is essential if you want to bring the kingdom, the fullness of the ruling, reigning power of Lord Jesus to the people in your life, you need the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus himself. Why just bring some information and a, and a message about Jesus to someone when you can bring the presence of Jesus to someone in a very literal way? Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Look at your neighbor and say, he was anointed. Look at your other neighbor and say, he's anointed me. Yes, Jesus. To proclaim, listen to this, you're going to notice this pattern. There's a proclamation and there's an action. There's something you say, there's something you do. The Spirit has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Something you say with your mouth, you're proclaiming, hey, good news. What's the good news? God is real. He cares about you. He loves you. His name is Jesus. He died for all your sin. He can wipe it all away, totally change your life. It's incredible. Hey, you should come to church with me, right? Good news. Good news. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Binding up has the imagery of healing, but it's, it has this imagery of you're wrapping it in bandages. You're, you're, you're doing something. So it's not just telling people good news. As James would say, you know, far be it from us to say, hey, you know, be warm and well-fed. You know, I hope you have a great day. Hey, 
be warm and well-fed. And then you do nothing to actually help people. No, no, no. When you bring the kingdom of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, you're proclaiming the goodness of God. You're proclaiming Jesus. You're proclaiming God's reality. But then you're actually doing stuff to help people, to demonstrate this is what Jesus is like, to show them this is what the kingdom of God is like. Listen, again, this pattern. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives. You're proclaiming it. You're the Lord's favor. He's setting us free. There's freedom in Jesus' name. And release from darkness for the prisoners. Release has, again, this action word of there's a prison door, and I'm not just proclaiming it now. I'm opening the door, and I'm opening it and say, come on out. Release them. Set them free. Who are we, by the way? Free people. It's who we are. It's what we do. We should be proclaiming it. It's available. Oh, I've been depressed my whole life, your friend says, and they're not a Christian. It's this simple, guys. If we would have confidence in Jesus, it is this simple. Oh, really? I know somebody can help with that. I know somebody can heal you that. Really? Who is it? I've been to a lot of doctors. Who is it? It's Jesus. It's that simple. But we don't have confidence in faith. Because half the church in America doesn't even believe he can do that stuff anymore. That's part of your cross you have to bear. No, a cross is an intentional decision. He says, take up your cross. Did cancer give you the option or did it just consume you? A cross is a decision you make to deny yourself something to follow Jesus. It's not a physical illness. It's that simple. I know, oh, you've been, oh, you've had this horrible thing. Oh, you were, you were sexually abused? Oh, my gosh, that's horrible. Empathize, yes, but hey, I know somebody who can help you. And somebody can heal you. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. This is what it looks like to bring the kingdom. So Jesus was anointed in the power of the Spirit, preached good news, and he did good deeds to set captives free. So that's what it looks like for us. And here's a simple statement. I'm going to say it in a sentence. In the power of the Spirit, share good news and do good deeds to set captives free. That's how you bring the kingdom. In the power of the Spirit, share good news and do good deeds to set captives free free. So again, I want to get practical. That's great. How do you do that? First time in church today, maybe. That's great. What do I do? (laughs) Tell me what to do. I still don't know yet. In the power of the spirit, here's the next step. Here's the next step. You need to seek God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't experienced that yet, you need to seek God. And notice what I'm saying. You need to seek God for it. Not just sitting there going, oh, it never happened to me. Oh, it didn't happen to me. Oh, it never happens to me. He picks everybody else. Have you sought him for it? 
Because the example in scripture we have is to seek him for this, to ask him for this. It should be an expectation of Christian people. This should be discipleship 101 for every church again. Jesus modeled this. When Jesus himself was baptized by John at 30 years old, he came up out of the water. After coming up out of the water, something else happened. The Holy Spirit, it lighted on him as a dove. Our religious language gets in the way of us realizing what is happening here. He was being immersed in the Holy Spirit. That's what the lighting of the dove means. The Holy Spirit came on him and rested on him in power. Immediately leads him to the wilderness for, for 40 days he fasted and was tempted, tested. Then when he comes out of the wilderness, he comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus got baptized in water, which he was setting example for us. John said, no, I should, you should baptize me. He goes, no, it's okay. It's to fulfill all righteousness. He's like, this is the right thing to do. And I'm setting an example for my followers. That's what he was saying. He didn't, quote, unquote, need to get baptized. But he was, he was showing us what to do. And after he comes out, the Holy Spirit does something special to Jesus. Who, like, technically his spirit is the Holy Spirit inside of him. But the Holy Spirit came on him in power. Isn't that interesting? All the miracles Jesus did, he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you a question. If Jesus, for his ministry, for the ministry that the Father called him to, needed to, to have the Holy Spirit rest on him, to be anointed, Isaiah 61, I've been anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus needed that for his ministry, how much more do we need the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This is the example he set. And then when he got his 12 guys, 11 after, you know, the betrayal, post-resurrection, the 11 guys, they've been with him three years. They've learned everything. They've already driven out demons. They've already healed the sick. They've already preached the good news. They've already seen him do miracles. Now he's risen from the dead. All things are possible. All bets are off. We're ready to go, right? I mean, they're probably chomping at the bit to go preach the gospel of the kingdom again. Jesus is alive. They can't kill us. You can't kill us. You can't heal us. You can't hold us down. I mean, I can only imagine. But what did Jesus say to them? Whatever you do, do not go try to bring the kingdom right now. You ain't ready. Wait. Wait for what? The gift that I've been promising you. The Holy Spirit. Because in a few days, I'm going to baptize you. It means fully immerse you. We weren't talking water this time. The power of God, fully immersed by the Holy Spirit of God. He's going to come on you in power. It's an anointing. It's resting on you. The anointing gives you power, courage, boldness to do the things you used to be scared to do, like share your faith. The anointing brings gifts, and it gives gifts that you didn't have before. Like you were a Christian, you got baptized in water, you're going to heaven, that's great. You get 
blasted with the Holy Spirit. Now you got some new gifts that you didn't have when you got baptized in water. You got some new gifts, and he gives you the power to use them. Doesn't always give you the wisdom to use them. That's something you learn with time. But he gives you the power. He gives you gifts. He gives you courage. He gives you boldness. The baptism of the Spirit also gives you a greater awareness of his holiness, the fear of the Lord. It's what the Wesleyan tribe calls sanctification in a greater way. So you want to be careful about living for him. You care way more. It also gives you a greater sense of his presence. And so when you're at work and someone starts just talking randomly and they start sharing things with you, you're like, why are you sharing with me? Before the anointing of the Spirit, you're like, oh, okay, well, this is uncomfortable. Okay, well, I'm talking to you, and you just wander off. But when you have the anointing of the Spirit on you, it's like a sixth sense. And when they start sharing things, and you realize the Lord is going, share this with them, share this with them. And you're like, ooh, oh, this is on purpose. Oh. And then, prophetically, you get things to, oh, well, I'm going to encourage you with this. And man, sharing your faith becomes so much easier because you're bold. You have courage, and you have that sixth sense to, to sense. Jesus said, I only do what I see him doing, my father. I only say what I hear my father saying. And when you get anointed, filled with the Spirit, you get this sense, and maybe your, your spiritual vision and ears aren't as good as Jesus. They're probably not. But it is something you grow in with time. And you get that sense, and you start to be like, oh, wait a second, I think this situation, oh, I think I see what God's doing here. I know how to pray into this. I know how to share my faith. I know what to say. And often it just comes in the moment. You don't, you don't stay up all night like, what am I going to say to him tomorrow at work? Oh, i got to share my faith. Oh. No, you just, you just go through your life full of his peace. And somebody says something, you're like, wait a second. <laughs> and you're able to share. You're able to do what he's called you to do. And for many, many Christians, especially in America, our problem with evangelism is not that we don't know the five steps of the Roman road. It's that we're not empowered and anointed by the Holy Spirit. Because we don't seek him for it. Tragically, because a lot of churches teach, he doesn't do that anymore. Goodness gracious. We will be a powerless church, having a form of godliness, but denying the power. Goodness gracious. And I'm just going to, a majority of Christians on the earth now are spirit-filled, charismatic believers. Charismatic just means we believe in the full power and gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's a majority on the earth right now. And uh, when you have the evidence in those people's lives, and I could tell you dozens of stories in my own life and in the lives of these people sitting here of randomly getting a new language you can speak called tongues, of miracles happening, of prophetic things happening that God shows you something about someone, you're like, oh, is this true about you? And they're just like, bah, and the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. The gifts, power of the Holy Spirit. It's awesome. It's a game changer. It's like a superpower that he gives us 
to go save the world. And not seeking it would be like, you're supposed to be Superman, and you're not. You have no power because you haven't sought him for it. You just have information. Hey, I've got some important information. There's a king now, and... uh And so we need to seek him for the baptism or gifts of the Holy Spirit. So how do you do that? You personally pray and ask God. Jesus said, I believe it's in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay? I know several people in this church who have beautiful stories, and I love these stories, where they were totally filled, immersed, baptized in the Holy Spirit, sitting at home by themselves, praying by themselves. And they're like, Lord, I'm going to ask you, Lord, I love you, and just, it just happens. It's awesome. Love those stories. Some people, I love, I heard one story, this lady was driving in her car, worshiping, and she's just like, she's singing this song. And she's like, doo, doo, doo. She's just singing the song on the radio. It was a Christian song on the radio. And all of a sudden, she's worshiping God. All of a sudden, a different language starts coming out. She gets all blessed. She gets all filled. She's like, what is happening? In her car, just driving down the road because she was spending time with Jesus. And so you need to ask him for yourself. First and foremost, pray and ask him. You can ask him right now sitting in your seat. You can ask him today. Ask him anytime. Second way, primarily, we see in Scripture, ask spirit-filled leaders to pray for you, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Ask them. Our church, we do this periodically in a, in a bigger way where we might have a, what we would call an impartation Sunday where impartations are very simply where we lay hands on people to pray for the filling and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And that's the pattern we see in Scripture, in the book of Acts. This is what they did. I don't have time to go into it, Acts 8, Acts 19. But when you see new believers get saved, they're like, oh, you got saved. They're saved. They got baptized in water. Have you received the Holy Spirit yet? They're, they're not talking about in you for salvation. When you get saved, he's in you. They're talking about on you, the empowering, the anointing, the baptism. And when they didn't, when they hadn't experienced that yet, they'll pray for them. It is an experience that you should know if you've had it or not. Okay. That's, again, I'm not preaching the watered down, how we make excuses in America, Christianity. I'm telling you from the scriptural Bible study, this is what it, speaking in tongues and prophesying were almost always associated with it. Anyways, I'm about to go into teaching on that. So I can't, I don't have time for that. I've done other messages on that. There's this, we did a series called Spirit of Jesus several months ago. Go check that out for all that stuff. Go, go check into that. Um, but you need to seek, you need to ask. So we'll do those days at times as a church family, but you can ask any week. And by the way, again, if you've asked, sometimes it happens right in the moment. Sometimes the Lord's like, it's coming. You got it. It's, he's going to activate it at a certain time. And I'll just say we've had people, it happened during worship, just in church. They're just singing. They're just praying. You position yourself to experience this when you're, when you're connecting with the Lord. When you get out of your mind, when you stop worrying what people think about you, and you're like, I just want you, and you're connecting with him. That's how you position yourself best to fully receive 
the baptism, the filling of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first part. You need to seek that. And I want to encourage you to seek that until the Lord does it. So the next part, in the power of the Holy Spirit, being anointed in the Holy Spirit, we share good news. Share good news. You've heard this saying before. I've used this in sermons before. Uh, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. How many of you heard that before? It's a great saying, kind of. <laughs> I, I've, I've heard it said many times. I get the intention. Our lives need to match what we believe. You know, just be a good person. You don't have to always go on and on yelling at people or whatever. That, that's great. I've come to realize uh, as I've gotten older with more wisdom that it's actually a terrible statement theologically <laughs> because there are people all over the world who live good lives and do good deeds to just help people, and they don't even know Jesus. So if you do know Jesus, you know why you're doing these good things. You know it's not you because <laughs> you know how you used to be. But you're just out there doing good deeds. Who gets the glory if no one knows why you're doing those good deeds? You know who gets the glory? You do. Man, he's just a great guy. You get elevated in their minds. And so we have to actually open our mouths to tell them why we do what we do. Also, if you fail to tell them good news of Jesus, you can do great good deeds, great deeds to help people. But no matter how much you help them practically on this earth, ultimately, you are merely giving them a fish for a day instead of teaching them about the one who can satisfy their hunger and thirst for all time. Because no matter, even if you get them a job and you set them up, their whole life is changed in the practical sense. If you never tell them about Jesus, the day will come, no matter how bad their poverty or their oppression or, or, their, or their brokenness is. It will pale into comparison to poverty, oppression, and brokenness for eternity being separated from God. And that's the greatest need of every human heart. So we must open our mouths to explain to them and to tell them the good news of who Jesus is. We cannot be ashamed of the cross. We cannot be ashamed to be Christians. We have the antidote. We have the hope of the world. We have the cure for all their sin, sickness, depression, loneliness, fear, death, and so on. How dare we not tell them for fear of being misunderstood? Is that what the early church did? We, we love what God's doing. We love Jesus. He's radically changing everything. But man, those Romans will kill us. The Roman culture doesn't want this. It's too corrupt. Let's just kind of keep it to ourselves and have our little church parties and not really tell anybody. No way. No way. They were like, you can kill me, but this is true, and it's amazing. And that's the tenacity that Jesus wants us to have. So how do you do that? How do you share good news? Here's the next step. Super simple. If you've never done this before, share your story and invite people to church. It can start that easy. Why do I say share your story? If you know the five points of the Roman road and you know your Bible so well, you can just preach the Bible to people. Awesome. 
go for it. That's a great way to preach the good news. Most people are like, I'm intimidated. I don't know what I'm doing. Share your story. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Your testimony about the truth of scripture and what Jesus has done in your life makes you a, an eyewitness. Were you an eyewitness of him in the flesh on the earth? No, but you're an eyewitness of the Holy Spirit's power in the presence of Jesus here and now. He's changed my life. Just tell him your story. Man, God's done so much for me. He can do it for you. And hey, if you don't have a church home, you should come to church with me this Sunday. It's awesome. Our church is amazing. You know, it's alive. We had 138 baptisms last year. We had 12 in January. This church is alive. This church is alive. Jesus is here. We had 49 confirmed miracles last year, and we only started or healing miracles. We only started counting halfway through the year. We had 105 confirmed deliverances from things like anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, things of that nature. Some of these people came off of medications clinically, clinically diagnosed, set free through the power of prayer, through the power of Jesus, and we only started counting halfway through the year. And he's already started doing it this year. We had several healings last week. It was amazing. God is moving. Jesus is alive. Everything I've said is true. Wake up from your slumber. Let's go tell people and bring the kingdom. You don't have to know it all. But maybe, like Philip, you just find your Nathaniel and just go, hey, listen, I don't know what's happening. It's amazing. I don't know how to explain it. It's like Jesus is alive. Never been to church like this. It's crazy. Hey, just come and see. Just come and see. We've had people do that. And the first week their friend comes and sees, and they're all skeptical, they get healed. They're like, oh, my goodness. You, you, you weren't kidding. Yeah. We're not kidding. It's really real. And so I loose your hands and feet and your hearts to go out and evangelize. Share the gospel. Share good news. If you don't know what to do, tell them your story. Just invite them to church. Amen? All right. And the last step here, do good Deeds. Jesus said, Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is saying, shine your light. What's the light? Doing good deeds to help people. And when they see them, at some point, they know why you're doing it. So you've shared something about how good God is. So they know you're a Christian. They know why you're doing it. And so when they're thankful, they're not just like, man, that Aaron, he's just a great guy. Glory to Aaron. Isn't Aaron so great? To puff up my pride, right? No, they go, man, he said, man, God. He does that because he's, he, he loves God, because God changed his life. Man, thank God. Praise God. And it brings glory to God. But Jesus says we should be doing good deeds in the name of God. There was no question Jesus was doing everything he did in the name of God. There was no question. He wasn't trying to hide it. He was out in the open. I'm here. The kingdom is here. I'm bringing the kingdom of God. Hey, let's just, and then he did this. He helped people. Here's the key part, Christians. No strings attached. So it's not, hey, we'll feed you and we'll clothe you and we'll give you water 
if you come to our church and hear our presentation. Like it's a timeshare or something. I got this timeshare. Really got great place. It's called heaven. If you come and sit through this one presentation, we'll give you some food and money. That stuff's happened before in the past in the church. Isn't that sad? Not our church. The church through history. Isn't that sad? Jesus healed. It said he healed everyone who came to him. He didn't ask, are you a believer? Are you going to stay a believer? Are you going to stick me with me when it gets hard? Are you going to sit through this Sermon on the Mount? He just healed him. Because he's a God who sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so as Christians, we just help people. No strings attached. We're just spreading the good news of the kingdom, doing good deeds in the name of Jesus. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, we'll help you. On our benevolence request here at the church financial assistance forms to get technical. We don't have, are you a Christian on there? Because if you're not, we're not going to help you. No. Do you need help? Okay, cool. Have you asked for help before? Okay. What's your situation? Okay. So we just are called to help people, do good deeds to help people. No strings attached. So what kinds of good deeds? I'm going to be honest with you. Any good deed, any act of kindness counts. Jesus said, if you give a cup of water to someone in my name, you certainly have not lost your reward. Anything counts. Any good deed to just love somebody and help somebody in any way. But there is a principle in scripture, some things God cares about the most. And this is the way I'll sum it up. He wants us to help people the most who need the most help. He wants us to help people the most who need the most help. James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows and their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Orphans and widows in their culture were the ones who needed help the most. They would end up homeless, totally in poverty, totally distraught, totally poor. And man, once you're in that cycle of that systemic, devastating poverty, you very often can't get out of it by yourself. And so they need a little help. And Jesus wants us focused on that. Matthew 25, he says at the judgment, this is not a parable, this will happen literally. He said the king, when he comes to separate, to judge people, He'll say to those on his right who are going to heaven, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Who are the brothers and sisters of his? The poor, the oppressed, the people who need help the most. And when we do it to them, it's as if we're doing it to Jesus. That's what he's saying. So if Jesus came in this room personally in the flesh today, and maybe he's walking down the aisle here and he trips and shatters his ankle and he has to go to the ER 
And it severs an artery and it almost dies. And he has to stay there for like two weeks to like recover. It's crazy. He had to do surgery. Your Lord and Savior. Would you feel compelled like, man, I'm going to go visit him in the hospital. He's probably getting lonely in there. Would you feel compelled like, man, I'm, if he has a family on the earth, maybe I'll take Mary and his brothers some, some meals so they don't have to worry about it. Right? If you would do that for Jesus, Jesus said, do it for the least of these. Do it for people that don't deserve it. Because it's not about how good they are. It's about us representing his goodness to them. Showing people the love of God. I mean, when you show somebody the love of God, especially someone who doesn't deserve it, in a very practical way, very often it will change them. Because it's an act of his grace. It's a beautiful thing. And so he lists several things in this passage. Give food to the hungry, water to the thirsty. In our day and age, I would say clean water because millions and millions of people across the world die from dirty drinking water. Housing the homeless, giving clothes to those who need them, and visiting those in prison or in the hospital. This is all under the category of helping the poor and the oppressed. So here's a few next steps. That Listen, this is not just for a pastor to do. This is for all y'all. This is for all of us. If you're a Christian, if you bear his name, these types of things we should be doing on a regular basis. A few next steps. Visit and pray for those who are sick or in prison. And it is so easy in our day and age. Praying for you. Text. It's so easy. And I get there's times that's all you can do. Do it. It's worth something. Actually pray, though. Don't go praying for you and then forget to pray or else you didn't really do anything, right? Pray. But, man, if you want to go next level, go visit them. And if you're not sure how to do a visit, it's real simple. I was intimidated by that when I became a pastor. I'm like, how do you do these hospital visits? What's going to happen? <laughs> you go in and you go, what happened? Why are you sick? Listen, even if you know the story, what happened? How did you get into this situation? They begin to tell you, especially when it's from trauma or abuse, things like that. Sociologists have proven people just telling their story is cathartic. It literally brings healing in the brain, emotional, mental healing. When people have been through car accidents, the more they tell the story, the more their brain heals. Just listening is a healing ministry from Jesus. You just go in, what happened? They'll tell you the big story or their family tells you a big story. You're like, wow. You know, you, you converse for a while. And then before you leave, go, hey, can I pray for you before we leave? It's that simple. Then you just pray over them. Some of you are like, I've never prayed for anyone before. Great. What a great opportunity. I tell my kids to do chores around the house. And, and early on, they would say, oh, I'm not good at that. I'm not good at doing the dishes. No, that was absolutely true, and I get frustrated because they weren't good. But what I would say is, <laughs> what I would say is, oh, you got three dishes in there. Way to go there, bud. Going to have to do about 20 loads. All right. But what I would say is, oh, you just need more practice. That's why you're not good. <laughs> go do it. I didn't do it right. I can only get half of them in there. Oh, you get to do it again. You just need practice. You'll get better real quick, won't you? 
You never prayed for anybody? Go do it. The Holy Spirit can take what you think is a crappy prayer and move mountains with it and do miracles with it. If you're, if you're all inside of yourself about it, you're thinking about you. <laughs> think about him and think about the people in need. That's what it's about. So visit people and pray for them. And then lastly, next step, give to those who are in need. Christians should be givers financially. We talked last week about giving to build up the house of God. But man, that's our ties. That's for God. That's for his house. That's for the kingdom, right? This year, this is just free will offerings to help the poor. As you come across people, anybody have somebody at a gas station? Like, hey, you got 20 bucks. Hey, I don't have anything. Hey, I need help. Hey, here's, here's the little thing I have with myself. If I have cash in my wallet and I come across a homeless person or, or someone at a gas station, whatever, and they ask me, Scripture says give to those who ask. It doesn't say fill out this application and if I can be sure that you're not going to use it on drugs, then I'll give it to you. And I'm like, if you're asking, that's pretty bad. You're in a pretty bad situation, aren't you? I don't care what you're going to use it on. I mean, I care, right? But that's not my decision. My job as a Christian is to help you. And so... We're called to give to help those in need regularly. This should be a part of our lives uh, as Christian people. And the New Testament is full of teachings that are very, very clear on that. We've done this strategically as a church. We tithe at least 10% of everything given to our church to just bless uh, the poor, the needy, other ministries that are advancing the kingdom of God. We've built clean water wells in two villages in Uganda, Africa. Uh, We've built housing for orphans. Um, next week we're going to hear about a really special opportunity to bring the kingdom in a really special way uh, to help people in need. And it's going to be powerful. We're going to have a special visitor from another country who's going to share their story, and they're flying in next this coming Saturday just to share at our church, and they're flying back home. And so it's going to be amazing. And next week is going to be awesome. You don't want to miss it. We're going to talk about how really to put some feet to this as a church family, and really live this out. And so with that being said, we're coming to the end of this series. Here we are. We've talked about the way of God. We've talked about how to love God, how to live free, how to build family, how to bring the kingdom. It's awesome. We've talked about a lot of stuff. We've talked about a lot of information. And I don't know about you, but I think the sermon's been pretty good. Jesus gave what he, what is considered by us one of his best sermons in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's chapters, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And it was a lot of great content. We're still preaching on what he preached on, right? It was super practical. These big, profound ideas, blessed are the poor. So it's like, oh, it's amazing. Honey dripping from his mouth. But he got super practical. You've heard don't commit adultery. I say don't even look lustfully. Wow, a little too practical there, God. Not sure I can do this. Real practical. Don't do this. Start doing this. This is how to live your life. This is how to walk in the way of God. Profound sermon. Profound teaching. And he gets to the end. And the very last thing he told him was this. Therefore, in light of all this I've told you, 
all this great practical information. Man, if you do this, if you live this way, your life's going to be blessed. You won't even believe the blessing of God on your life. You won't even believe how close you get to God and, and how powerful of a Christian you can be in your world if you will do the things I'm talking about. He goes, therefore, therefore. I'm going to tell you a story. There were two men. One built his house on the sand. And the storm came, the rain came, blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. The other one dug down, did a little work, put in some time, and built his house on a rock. And that was a strong foundation. And that same storm came, blew again and beat against that house, and that house stood firm. It was stood the storm. And then he explained the story. He said, the first man is a man who hears the word of God. He came to church. He sat in church. He heard everything. But he did not do what Jesus said. That's the man on the sandy foundation. His house fell with a great crash when the storms of life came against him. The second man put into practice what Jesus taught. He actually did it. He started living his life this way. And that is how you build your life on a firm foundation, by actually putting into practice what Jesus says, putting into practice the things we've talked about in this series. And so the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Examine yourself. Because you can come to church, you can hear a good message, hear some good music, and go home. The first man heard. Both guys heard the word of God. They both probably thought it was a good message. They both probably thought worship was great. One did not do anything, though. And it had no effect on his life. So Paul says, examine yourselves. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. And based on this series, based on the context we've been talking about, here's a simple way to do that. Go back through this series and look at the next steps that I've been talking about. These are the most basic ways that you live this out. So week one, love God, pray to receive Christ, get baptized in water, start doing daily devotions, be a part of a church family, attend church weekly, right? Are you doing these things? Are you doing them, right? Are you doing them? You're building a strong foundation. Are you doing that? Week two, live free. If there's a sin you're struggling with, confession and prayer. You can get free. You can live free of that. Go to the Open Heaven Ministries Deliverance Training. I think they're calling it Freedom School 101 now. Openheavenministries.com. Check that out. Learn how to pray. Pray the house blessing prayer of your household. Start praying the John Eldridge Daily Prayer. If you're experiencing uh, oppression from the enemy, Right? depression, anxiety, those types of things. Start praying those prayers. Start learning how to live free. Last week, build family. We talked about invest in learning how to build your family, right? I talked about read a, read a Christian book once a year on, on marriage or parenting. Go to build family conference. Invest time regularly on learning how to be a good spouse and how to be a good parent in Jesus' name. We talked about building up the family of God. Join a serve team. Join a group. Start giving financially. Are you doing these things? It doesn't just build our church house on a firm foundation. You will build your life on a strong foundation when you start doing these things. And today we talked about bringing the kingdom. Seek God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Share your story and invite people to church. Visit and pray for those who are sick and in prison and give to those in need. 
Go back through those. Am I doing these things? And here's the deal. Especially if you're new. Some of you might be like, man, I've been around and I live my life this way. Yep, I do most of those on a regular basis. Awesome. If you're newer to faith, maybe you're brand new to God, you might look at all those and go, oh, that's a whole lot. I haven't even started on this stuff, you know? That's great. There's always a day to start. And here's the deal. You, if you looked at all those things, maybe 16 things on there, you probably couldn't do all those in a week. That's a lot of stuff. You'd be overwhelmed. Here's the deal. You could do those in a year. Easily. You could probably do them in a few months. You could do them in a year. And what if you said this year, the rest of 2023, I don't care how I feel, I'm going to walk in the way of God. I'm going to do what God wants. I'm not going to do what I want. Oh my goodness, that's almost like denying yourself, taking up a cross and doing what God wants. And man, nine times out of 10, when you do what God wants, you'll go, man, I was an idiot. I feel so much better when I do what God wants. It's amazing. And so I want to challenge you. Take the rest of this year. Because here's the deal too. I know some of you, you've went to church your whole life. You've come to our church for a long time. And you haven't done most of those things. You've just come and sat in a pew. Jesus wants to know you. He wants to walk with you. But he wants you to walk with him. And these practical steps are how you begin walking in the way of God. So give yourself, say, you know what, this year, I'm going to do that. I'm going to print that out. I'm just going to checklist this thing. I'm just going to go. I'm going to do this. Amen? Then you can get to in that year, and oh my goodness, track your progress, right? How am I doing? You can see the things you've been doing a lot, and some of the things that you avoid because they're uncomfortable, because those are the areas you need to grow the most. And you can see it. It's a way you can see it. You can examine yourself. I want to help you. I want to give you tools. I want to give you strategies. Okay, this is what I do, right? Because life can get confusing, and the enemy's good and deceptive. He can mess with you. And so examine yourself, and here's the deal. Put it in to practice. Start doing these things. You'll build your life on a really firm foundation. Amen? All right, I want to invite our ministry team up to pray for people. And we're going to enter a ministry time right now. And I went a few minutes over, so I'll probably just get this going. And then you can come and receive prayer. Um, So come on up, ministry team. So these people are trained. They are lovely people who love to help you. And we want to minister to you. We make space for this at the end of every service. It's also available during worship, by the way. They're just chilling up here, worshiping ready to pray for you any Sunday at any time. And uh, we just want to invite you, give you a simple invitation as we close today. Um, If you want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, be forgiven of sin, know you're going to heaven, come up and talk to one of these people, and they can lead you in prayer to help you you make that decision in your life. If you need physical healing, as I mentioned earlier, and you want to receive more prayer for that, I want to invite you to come up and pray with one of these people. Um, If you have any other issues that you want prayer for, maybe anxiety, depression, those types of things, very often we found it's not just you feeling bad. There's often demonic oppression that is behind those or making it much worse. And so we would love to pray with you over that um, and anything else that you need prayer for. So I'm going to close with prayer. I'm going to ask Holy Spirit to come right now. When I did this last week or the week before, we had somebody get healed during this moment, didn't even come up for prayer. And so the Lord moves when we 
ask, and he is here today. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask him to move, and then we'll be done. God, we just thank you so much for your presence here today, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this place. We invite you into our hearts, invite you into our lives. And Jesus, I ask you to come and minister to your people right now. Minister to your people. Administer healing. Administer salvation. (laughs) Administer freedom, deliverance. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you for your faithfulness. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word that was preached today. Thank you that it will bear fruit and that your word never returns void. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.